Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. My name is Nate Antetomaso. We have an amazing episode today. It is with Morgan Franklin, the self-proclaimed social media ninja of Lexington, and he just so happens to sell real estate too. We get into all kinds of topics, ranging from his thoughts on the future of real estate to Lexington in general. Let's do it. Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. My name is Nate Antetomaso. I'm joined by my co-host, Evan Knowles. What's going on? And we are back in downtown Lexington, Kentucky today. We are recording at Awesome Inc., the uh, co-working space, coding boot camp, uh, general place for all things awesome in downtown Lexington. We are on the second floor, uh, and we are excited today to be joined by Morgan Franklin, a social media marketer who happens to sell real estate. Just accidentally happens to sell real estate. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for having us in your space here, and uh, and, and thanks for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Pumped. Let's do this. This is going to be awesome. So we, uh, we you know, our group of friends has kind of been been circling you for a few years now and, and interacted in a bunch of different ways, and so... We wanted to get you on the podcast. You grew up, you were born and raised in Lexington. Um, you've done a bunch of different stuff here. So excited to get your insight into all kinds of things. Okay, let's rock and roll. So first, you kind of just want to give a little bit of your background to start, and then we'll just kind of jump off from there. Sure. So I grew up in Lexington on a standard bread farm. Uh, my my parents worked outside the home or, you know, farming wasn't our full-time deal, but I grew up in the horse industry. Um, I, spent, I didn't know that. Yeah. I spent every Friday and Saturday night on the backside of the Red Mile. So standard breads are the ones with the cart behind it or the sulky behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I grew up at the Red Mile paint, playing Paperboy at the track kitchen uh, and or licking an ice cream cone, looking through the boards of the grandstands because I wasn't tall enough to see over the yeah. fence. Um <laughs> So, you know, about as Kentucky as it possibly gets. Yeah. Grew up here, went to UK um, for a shade, just a shade under a decade. <laughs> you know, lots of people go to school for seven years, Tommy. They're called doctors. <laughs> uh, so I got an undergrad in ag econ because mm-hmm. I uh, may have enjoyed the first two years of college a little too much okay. and my GPA wasn't strong enough. To get into the business college, so I graduated with a degree in ag econ. Okay, um, that fits in with your childhood and everything. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's I mean, all a plan, right? You know, the difference <laughs> between regular econ and ag econ is I can tell you how many cows can fit in a field instead of you know what a market looks like. So, <laughs> uh, after that, I went to work as an accountant at Ashford Stud uh, Horse Farm in Versailles, which mm-hmm. is where. American Pharaoh stands. Yeah. Uh, That's a cool more farm, right? Dude, it is absolutely gorgeous. It was yeah. it was an awesome job. I mean, it paid for dick. I mean, it was terrible. I mean, yeah. there was, I was, I, I would have been better off like working construction, picking up trash, uh, financially wise. But the the relationships I made and just the it was a gorgeous place to go to work every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really cool, and so after working there for about two years, I decided that. This was not what I wanted to do, and to get to that next level, unless I wanted to follow that accounting path, I needed to go back to school, and I went back and I got an MBA, 
And let's just say my graduate program, I took much more seriously, graduated yeah. with a 4.0 GPA, <laughs> as opposed to my undergrad, which was not nearly as strong. Uh, and after that, I went to work for General Electric in corporate finance. How many years between graduating undergrad and then going back for your MBA? 27 months. Okay. Yeah, it was quick. Pretty, pretty quick turnaround, you realized. Yeah, just because I didn't, I had such a bad GPA in undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, like I went to, I interviewed with Procter & Gamble. I interviewed with a couple big accounting firms and they all saw, you know, my 2.8 GPA. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, no, this ain't going to work. <laughs> and so because of my, you know, uh, enjoyment in undergrad, yeah, I needed to go back and I got my MBA and I was able to get a job at GE and um, corporate finance and FP&A. You know, I had some really big responsibilities. Um, you know, North I, I had North American appliances. I was responsible for their entire balance sheet, which was eleven point one billion. Oh wow! Um, right. You know, it was it was a big boy job. It was fun. Had a lot of visibility. And then I left there and got picked up by a private equity firm out of Chicago called Fingston Partners, and we were working mm-hmm. on. The target I was working on was a company called um, Fire King Security Products, and we were merging Fire King Security Products with Corporate Safe Specialists out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and we put those two together, did that deal, and really, really enjoyed it. And my wife wanted to move back to Lexington and start a family, and I wanted to pursue an opportunity with the private equity firm in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was where my career track was, that's what I really wanted to do. And so we compromised and we moved back to Lexington and started a family. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I was here for about six months Uh and I just thought, you know, I've got an MBA, I've got, you know, seven, eight years of finance experience and I'll find a job. No big deal. You know, I had some money saved up. Yeah. And, um, I've been here for six months and the only work I could find was, you know, getting on an airplane as a consultant, going working for a big four. Yeah. Um, I had interviewed with a, a couple companies here locally and let's just say that my skill set was worth half of what I was used to making mm-hmm. in Louisville. Um, wow. Just the, the job opportunities in corporate finance just don't exist here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you, it was Tempur-Pedic and they were going to pay half of what I was making um, you know, for the, pretty much the exact same job responsibilities. Yeah. And so it just wasn't something I was willing to do. And I didn't want to get on an airplane because we were, you know, my wife was, uh, at, at that point pregnant, mm-hmm. um, with our first son. And I didn't want to, you know, get on an airplane, leave on Sunday, come home on Thursday or Friday and do that consultant life yeah. where it would just completely defeat the purpose because I would never see my family. Yeah. So, uh, my wife is a wedding photographer and I had, been uh, carrying her bag around mm-hmm. for a while and I'd learned how to use a camera. Okay. One of my buddies was in real estate. He called me and said, Hey man, I see that you're taking all these photos. Cause that's what I was doing to fill my time. Yeah. And, uh, said, can you come photograph a listing for me? And so my dad is a real estate attorney. And so I'd been around it for a while. Mine too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I had, um, you know, had a lot of experience with the mortgage industry. And so I understood it and mm-hmm. he goes, can you come take these photos for him? I'm like, sure. And then I realized, wait a minute, the photos and the, the digital marketing are what sells a house. Yeah. Right. I mean, price is important, clean the thing up. But like, as far as marketing goes, it's the photos, it's the video. And that's a skill set that I had. And mm-hmm. 
this was a, I don't know, like a $220,000 property. So he was going to make like $7,500, $8,000, which was, you know, almost a full month's salary for me, mm-hmm. you know, working 50, 60, 70 hours a week. Because when I was working for the private equity company or for the target of the private equity company, there was a stretch from Thanksgiving to Valentine's Day. I didn't have a single day off. That includes Thanksgiving. That includes Christmas. Wow. That includes New Year's Eve. That includes my wife's 30th birthday. Mm-hmm where I went to her 30th birthday, took her home at one o'clock and then drove back to the office and pulled an all nighter on a Sunday. Yeah. Like it was terrible. And so I just said like, well, this is an awesome opportunity. It looks like it's going to lend itself to my strong suits. And so how did you learn the, those marketing skills just from the photography with your wife and going from there? Uh, photography. Um, I had a startup called Thoroughbred Source was an absolute debacle. <laughs> uh, think of, it was a Craigslist for horses, only cost $100 to list your horse. Okay. And I won't get into the reasons why that failed, other than I didn't understand who my customer was. Yeah. Um, but raised $30,000 of capital, went and built this fancy website. Mm-hmm. Everything was great to go, and I think we had like $2,200 of revenue total ever yeah. because we didn't go and test the concept with yeah. the potential customer. But it was really pretty. Yeah, I mean, I've still got. I, I keep a hat in my office at home that has the logo on it to remind yeah. me of what I learned from that. Which is, before you go start any business, you know, step back and understand who your customer is and what they really want. Because some, just because something makes sense in your head doesn't mean that that's ultimately what the market's going to reward. Mm-hmm. Are people um, buying horses online, or is that something you have to go feel and touch and look at in person before? Yeah, so there's feeling buy and touch in person. Also, it's the so agents in the in the horse industry make ten percent, five percent buy, five percent sell. And one of the things is, I just thought hundred thousand dollar horse, you're paying ten thousand dollars. Shit, I'm a hundred bucks. This is a deal. Yeah, yeah. I just saved ninety nine hundred dollars. But what I didn't understand is a lot of people who are buying and selling horses, especially at a retail level. Mm-hmm. Um, so people who are, you know, in the wholesale space, you know, that are buying and selling before it gets to like an auction, they all know each other and they have inside market information. So the last thing they want to do is go to an auction style eBay system yeah. or like a public listing because then their asymmetric information is no longer useful mm-hmm. and they can't take advantage of it. And then on the retail side of it, somebody who's going to go buy a horse at auction, they really aren't there to save money. Yeah. They're there because this is a hobby. This is something yeah. fun to do, and they don't and they're here. The status aspect of it, going to the auction, exactly being at Keeneland or Fazig, yeah, you know, having your agent take you to a yeah. fancy dinner, mm-hmm. being taken here, or there, and having somebody that's in the industry that can you know make you feel like a rock star, take you to the clubhouse, yeah. you know, make you feel special, and that's the premium that people were paying, mm-hmm. and so. You know, my three partners on the deal were all heavily involved in the horse industry. They thought it was a good idea. Um, and we just didn't understand who our customer was. So, so I keep that hat hanging yeah. in my office just to remind me, make sure you test this thing before you go yeah. spending money. A good experience kind of getting all Yeah, raised money, yeah. you know, built, built, a site. built a website, managed uh, the build of the site, launched it, you know, went around and... I got thrown out of Keeneland. I went to the September yearling sale. What happened? Uh, I was putting marketing materials on people's cars and like going around <laughs> and like trying to market at Keeneland for yeah. a competing product. And they're like, yeah, you need to get the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so, How old were you when you tried this? 
It was while I was getting my MBA, so 26, 27-ish. Yeah, so I got thrown out of Keeneland. Um, That's funny. Oh, the worst part. So I hired these two girls Mm -hmm. um, to come and be promotional models. Yeah. (laughs) And I didn't go through an agency. Uh, I got them through the grapevine, and I swear to God... Two of them showed up, and they both looked like just cracked out strippers. It was off. I had to end up. I just paid them and sent them home because I was embarrassed to be seen in public. It was bad. <laughs> it was bad. So that was another marketing lesson that I learned. Uh, What's the lesson there? Understand your marketing tactics and vet people before yeah. you show up. <laughs> Get references. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, there were so many mistakes made, but I learned a ton, mm-hmm. um, and it was a good experience. So. To answer your original question, how did I learn how to do digital marketing was through that experience, yeah. through, you know, I spent $10,000 on ad buy, you know, in traditional wow. methods, through digital outlets, and just through watching YouTube videos and trying and testing. And mm-hmm. trust me, I made, when I first got into real estate, I made a ton of mistakes. I wasted a lot of money, but, you know, through 20 like 32 months of real estate, I've been able to generate three quarters of a million dollars of revenue off of $12,000 of Facebook ad spend. Wow. Not a bad ROI. Yeah. No. 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 Um, and so it was, it was tough to learn. And, you know, when I first got into real estate, nobody was doing video. Nobody was doing Facebook advertising. Mm-hmm. You know, it had been around for a while, but nobody really understood it. You know, I think that the the Facebook ad platform really took off 2012, 2013, right about the time Facebook went public, which, what year did they go public? I think it was 14. Yeah, 14. Yeah. So they were getting they were getting jazzed up to go public, and they yeah. were really refining the ad product. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I really got heavy into it in 2015. Okay. Um, so did you get more into it because you realized the, the space was... Right for more more video, more high quality digital yes. marketing, and you thought you could provide that. Yep. Um, so <clears throat> when I first got into real estate, I made a couple of listing videos because I thought it'd be cool. Mm-hmm. And this was back in like fifteen, and for twenty, I was getting like five to ten views for a penny. Wow! Like insane. you know, today like a really strong video, I can get views for a cent. You know, maybe like a penny and a half. Yeah. But it was just unbelievably cheap. It was kind of like, I don't know if you've ever paid attention to Gary Vaynerchuk, but when he was buying AdWords for wine when he first started, he was getting clicks for like a nickel. That's insane. Uh, you know, now that clicks like five bucks, which by the way, in the real estate space, yeah. a mortgage click for one click is like 55 bucks. Oh my God. It's absolutely absurd. So I got into it and I saw just unbelievably how productive it was. <laughs> and so... Actually, earlier this year, when they changed the algorithm, and now after the security breach, and they changed all the targeting options, like mm-hmm. I'm back to the drawing board trying to learn what my targeting needs to be, working through that every single day, yeah. you know, refining that. But luckily, I've still got a bunch of uh, retarget audiences from people. So I had an audience mm-hmm. that had the old targeting options, like income and things. And so I built this audience and I've got a retarget audience of about 30,000 people that are people that viewed my content 
back from the old targeting options. Mm-hmm. So I've still got my targeting options. So audience. you can still use that even with the new restrictions? Yes, okay. because it's not an audience based on those filters. It's an audience based on people that have viewed content previously. Yeah. Even though I use those filters to see it, mm-hmm. I can still continue to use that retarget audience because it doesn't have any of the now eliminated yeah. uh, categories. That makes sense. So that, that audience is still producing, but I'm still looking for ways to... Do you do lookalike audiences at all to expand that, or does that not work? I've tried it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the problem is, A, my email list is only about 1,600 people. So doing a lookalike that way, um, it just mm-hmm. there are not enough people on my email list that use their, the same email for Facebook. And okay, so, yeah. like, it only shakes out to, like, 350 people who have, you know, cross emails that match. Mm-hmm. And so that hasn't worked. And then I've tried a lookalike audience. I've tried adding, like, 10,000 people to my 30,000-person lookalike audience. Yeah. And with varying amounts of success, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the changes have been interesting. But, you know, I, got, I made my first couple of videos. It went unbelievably well um, and just went from there and, you know... I was definitely the first person in my market to do video. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was going to touch on that. What do you think it is about Lexington that there's not a whole lot of people on social media creating a brand? And I just feel like the market, it just isn't there yet in Lexington where these people yeah. are, you know, building these online profiles on whatever they might be doing. You know, you just don't see it. What do you think that is? Because video's hard, man. Yeah. Um, it, one of the hardest things in the world is to get on camera. Uh, it's super intimidating, like that little bitty black hole on your uh, phone. When you know you're going to put something out there and somebody's going to judge you, is super intimidating. Yeah. And so a lot of people um, are really, really nervous. And so, you know, just doing it the first couple times is important. And then also you have to have some kind of editing skill. I mean, you can just do Facebook lives, you can do Instagram lives, you can do, you know, IG stories. But if you want to make, you know, some medium format, like two to 10 minute content, it's really hard to do that in a single take. And you either need to learn how to use iMovie or if I'm editing on my phone, I really like Adobe Clip, but I edit on desktop Mm -hmm. with, I used to be Premiere Pro um, and I've got this huge desktop machine that I built uh, at home, liquid, well, and so. Big PC. Huge. (laughs) Uh, it's a 4.9 AMD overclocked to 5.2 with 64 gigs of RAM on a uh, terabyte solid state. Um, and the problem is I got the wrong case. And so the liquid cooler I bought for it wouldn't fit in the case. So I literally have the shit zip tied to the side of the case. <laughs> I mean, it looks ghetto. It's loud as shit. Yeah. But powerful, you know, NASA got to the moon with half the amount of computing power that I've got at home. Yeah. Um, and so that was great for running Adobe Premiere, mm-hmm. and I think Adobe Premiere is a hundred times better than Final Cut. But um, I was I went and visited a friend who runs a, a multimedia studio video editing company in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, and he was showing me some of the things that Final Cut could do, and he was running on this tiny little laptop. Mm-hmm. And so I made the switch to Apple, which, by the way, I absolutely despise my MacBook Pro. It is unbelievably difficult to use. The finer system and the file management system is an abortion. But I can run Final Cut Pro and I can edit at my desk. I can edit in my truck. And, you know, I can edit video anywhere in the world. 
And so because of that, you know, I used to have to wait until, you know, the kids went to bed, I'd get home, kids go to bed, mm-hmm. nine, 10 o'clock, I would start editing video and I wouldn't get done until midnight, Yeah. you know, one o'clock in the morning. And so now it's been able, I can do it, you know, when I'm out in the middle of my day, I can do it on the run. I don't have to be tied to a location. Mm-hmm. And so I made that switch to Apple and I do love iMessage on desktop, especially. Yeah. Wait, so do you not had a Mac before that? Oh God, no. There's wow. so, there's such overpriced pieces of crap. Oh, this is, yeah, right this is a, not the right crowd. Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> Look, a lot of people, a lot of people are making the switch in yeah. in the editing world because there's not a Mac that at any price point that can edit 4K video in real time. It lags. It's terrible. Just because you can get so much more power for a fraction of the cost in a PC. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, Macs are overpriced. That's yeah, that's it's a, a brand. You're buying that's a brand. brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the convenience of it is just so nice. Like, I think it's more difficult to use. Really? Oh my god, it's ten times more difficult to use. See, I've never had like a, a custom built PC that was super yeah. powerful. Only thing I've only ever had like a Dell or an HP. Yeah. And I mean, after six months, those things started to crack I had out. Two of them. They, yeah. became, they were trash. Yeah. I hated them. Six months. Yeah. Got a MacBook, loved it, and yeah. this is now my third. Now I have, um, I do have to say that my MacBook is wildly durable because mm-hmm. my backpack has a vertical um, zipper on it, yeah. and at least once a month I forget to zip it up and I grab it and oh, pull man. it out of my truck and oh. <laughs> like you can look at the top of it like it's covered in scratches. <laughs> I literally I, I dumped it out two days ago. <laughs> so anyway, I hate Mac, but I love it. Yeah. If that it's a it's a love hate relationship. Like yeah, I think that's everybody. there's things it does better. I just wish I could. I wish I could run Final Cut on a PC, and mm-hmm. I would definitely go back to PC. I've never used Final Cut. I've only ever used Premiere, and it's very complicated and intensive. Premiere is a much better program. Yeah, but it just I I'm not enough of a nerd to understand the intricacies of why it's so much lighter. Yeah, uh, and runs with such less um, resource, mm-hmm. but it does. And like the secondary market plugins for effects and transitions and lower thirds and graphics is much more robust. And so on we, Final Cut, oh yeah, that surprises me. Yeah, wow. There's a lot more, a um, lot more secondary market for it. I would think Adobe would kind of have that. It's wildly difficult. Yeah. Um, but Premiere is a much better program and learning how to use Final Cut after editing in Premiere for two or three years was, yeah. Super easy. No. Oh, like just a big no, was, switch? Yeah, it was, it was very, very, ch- it was kind of like switching from a PC to a Mac was just a nightmare. Yeah. Um, but now like anytime I go to touch a, a PC, you know, and I go to, uh, Shortcut. I'm, yeah. I'm looking. I'm, I'm inside with my pinky for that command button instead yeah. of all the way at the bottom left corner. Yeah. Mm. So let's, let's get back uh, to the videos. Yeah. So well, this, videos. This content that you're producing, um, you know, it, it's for your real estate company. Kind of. Yep. How How did you get into content beyond just showing off listings? What's your strategy there? What were those first few videos like? Yeah. Let's Let's start there though. So the first few videos. One of the first videos um, was for about a. Eight or seven or eight hundred thousand dollar listing. It was a little miniature horse farm. It was over a million dollars, or maybe it was seven eight hundred. I don't remember. It was nice. Yeah, big fancy house, and it had a couple fields. 
And so the daughter was super into horses and had some uh, GoPro head strap footage of her riding a horse. Yeah. And so I opened that video with that footage and then had a drone that came up to the back of the house. And like this, I mean... Like a Great Gatsby kind of scene. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, this house was just straight house porn. Yeah. Um, still to this day, the nicest master bath I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So you walk in, to the right was the shower, to the left was the crapper closet, then you had a vanity on the left and a vanity on the right, and then directly in front of you, 16 feet across by 12 feet tall, was a wall of windows with a big <laughs> clawfoot tub that looked out over, you know, the 20-acre farm. Wow. And so it was absolutely amazing. And so that was the very first video, and people were super into it. Mm -hmm. Um, It got a ton of views. Were a lot of people using drones then? No, this was back in this was back in DJI or DJI Phantom One and FC Forty days. Yeah. So they didn't even have a gimbal. What about what year was this? Fifteen. Okay. Yeah, fourteen or fifteen. Yeah. And so, like, they didn't even have gimbals on the bottom of them. And so, literally, you you brought, you brought took your own GoPro and strapped it to the bottom. Oh. <laughs> and so, wow. it was shaky as shit. Yeah. <laughs> it looked awful. And the, and you couldn't live view what the drone was seeing. Yeah. So, you're just flying what you think looks good. Uh, well, you had to get up there and just look at it. Yeah. And so, if you lost it, you know, like if you lost visual sight with it, which, by the way, it's white. You fly it in front of a cloud, it's white. <laughs> yeah. Did it have, like, the return to home feature? It everything? did, but not if the battery was dead. Yeah. <laughs> it was, the, those first ones, I mean, it was cool. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a really cool toy. Did you but buy it, one because it was cool? Or because uh, you wanted it for real estate? So, I started off borrowing a buddy as a mine because I didn't want to invest the 1500 bucks. So the first ones are really expensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... I borrowed a buddy as a mine, and um, then I went, finally went and bought one. So, but the content was real estate, real estate, real estate, and I think one of the first videos I made, I got away from real estate in September of sixteen, as far as my content went, because uh, in April of sixteen, I'm sure you guys have heard of Casey Neistat. Mm-hmm. He oh, yeah. started making a daily vlog. Yeah, and he went from like a half million followers to a million followers in like six months, mm-hmm. and it's all because he was making daily content. Yeah, at the same time, Gary Vaynerchuk is talking about the Daily V. He had just gone to daily content, or at least the Daily V is really like three times a week. Yeah, but they all talked about regardless of the quality of the content, just constantly be uploading was what was going to get you views. And so, I was at a weird place. Um, you know, I wasn't selling enough real estate to really survive, mm-hmm. and I had taken a job in a consulting work-from-home role with Xerox um, because, well, I was, I was broke, yeah. you know, you need money. Mm-hmm. And so I was working from home, and I was I was driving around. You know, you think texting and driving's bad? You ought to try being on a conference call leading a WebEx with the laptop on your on the console of your truck while you're driving to an appointment with ear, earphones in leading a WebEx. That is distracted driving. Um, that was that was dangerous. But yeah. I mean, like when I had to present, I would pull over. Yeah. But I can't tell you how many times I've tethered to my phone, mm-hmm. and so I had two phones. One was for internet, uh, and Hotspot was the hotspot, yeah. yeah. And then the other one, I had my same time messenger, 
app downloaded and had, against corporate policy, figured out how to have same time on my phone. And so I was messaging people on same time with the WebEx going. It was yeah. <laughs> a little stressful, yeah. a little stressful. But anyway, to the content. So I buckled down in September of 16. I decided yeah. I was going to make 30 videos in 30 days. Okay. Up until that point, I had sold like a million and a half, 1.7 million of real estate. Um, I made 30 videos in 30 days. And in the following 45 days, I sold 1.7 million. So more in the following 45 days from those 30 videos than I had sold the entire nine months prior. 45 after the last 30 days? or So November 15th. Okay. So, so I finished in September, and so it was, you know, 65 days or 75 days. Just because that content was out there and people were seeing you? And, and it was yep. daily? Yep. Yep. And so... What, were, what was the content? Was it you just going through your experience? Or? No. So a lot of it was real estate listing videos, but I realized that making 30 real estate listing videos was going to be boring as shit. Yeah. And so I looked at a community calendar you know, to see about events going on. I looked at, you know, different restaurants. And so some of the most successful content from that sprint was I ran a 5K in Versailles, Mm -hmm. but it had bounce houses on it. (laughs) So it had absolutely nothing to do with real estate, but it had to do with Central Kentucky. Yeah. And it was engaging content, especially because the opening scene was pretty good. Um and it was just weird and different, and it's something interesting that people wanted to see. Yeah. Um, a video about Goodfellas Pizzeria that opened in the distillery district yeah, yeah. was a really good piece of content. I think I saw that one, actually. Yeah. Like, long before I met you. Yeah, see, that that's exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that one did like 70,000 views. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, with a couple hundred shares. Mm-hmm. And I only put like 40 or 50 bucks behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, local events, local restaurants, things about Lexington mm-hmm. have been my most successful piece of content. Like, I did a video about the spin bikes that just launched yeah, last yeah, month. Yeah. I saw that one. I think it's like eleven or 12,000 views with over 100 shares, and I put 20 bucks behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, content about local events that people are interested in does a lot better than a real estate listing video. Yeah. Um, because... Let's face it, unless you're in the market to buy the that house with those specs, like being, you know, Facebook and Instagram videos are passive. Yeah. And so if you're scrolling through, like, unless it's just like this super sexy kitchen or this awesome custom towel shower that's like a drool factor, mm-hmm. you know, who cares? Yeah. Like nobody wants to. The big thing is they just see that, hey, I'm in real estate and I'm talking about real estate again. That's what they remember. Yeah. Because especially when I was first getting started, like. I didn't have any listings or I had like one listing and it was an absolute dump in a trailer park somewhere. And so what I would do is I would call other uh, agents and say, Hey, that's a really pretty listing. Do you mind if I make a video about it? Uh, I'd like to advertise it for you. They go, how much is this going to cost? I'm like, it's going to cost you anything. Wait a minute. What? Yeah. You're going to come advertise my property for free. I'm like, yeah, that's 100%. I'm going to try and find you a buyer and I'm going to represent the buyer and I'll get paid. They're like, Man, you sound dumber in hell, but if you want to do that, <laughs> by all means, go ahead. Because, yeah. you know, the, the the cost to hire somebody to go do this would be like 150 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. And so I brought them value. So they gave me the opportunity to go make a video about theirs. And even though I complied with all uh, state and local laws about, yeah. you know, identifying who the listing agent was and who actually owned the listing, everybody just thought it was me that was listing it. Yeah. Because, hey, it's your page. Morgan's talking about real estate. Yeah. Um, but the content that's been wildly successful 
has absolutely nothing to do with real estate. Aside from, um, there's a house for sale over in Paris or Bourbon County, mm-hmm. and it has its own private airstrip. Oh my god! Wow. And That's so insane. I got a guy to fly me from Bluegrass Field over to the listing. And we came in, and we never, we didn't actually land on it because the the plane I was in had wheel pants, and yeah. so it was a grass strip. Uh, okay. And so landing on a grass strip with wheel pants and like shit could get caught up. It's just a bad idea. Yeah, but you acted like you were. Huh? Yeah, and so I had a guy on the ground film us as we flew over, and I filmed there. And then so we left from Bluegrass Field. It took six minutes to get there. By the way, <laughs> it's like a forty-five minute drive. Yeah, or six minutes in an airplane. That's crazy. Um, we zoom by, and then I go in and I show the place, and then we fly out of there. You know, I, I edit it to make yeah, it look like yeah, that. Yeah. And that was a super uh, good piece of content. It's actually done really well mm-hmm. on YouTube. Um, another piece of content that did really well was a container home project up on in uh, North Limestone District on York Street. Um, it's done like 70,000 views on YouTube. Is that the one being made out of the shipping, shipping containers? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Uh, and just, you know, apparently I keyworded that one correctly. Yeah. So the content that works as things about Lexington or exciting events that people want to learn about or want to see about. And then after I capture their, their interest with that, and then I put them into my retarget audience and then I beat the living daylights out of them with every single video that I uh, make, Mm -hmm. then I've earned the right to show them that, Hey, I'm also in real estate. Here's a cool house you should check out. So in these these unreal, not real estate videos, the ones about the spin bike or the distillery, do you say at the end, like, oh, check out the website, or, or is it just nope. kind of, this so, is just me showing you this, and then you see them later? So I, okay. I just always introduce myself as Morgan Franklin, your local Lexington realtor. Okay. Um, and then at the very end, I'll say, hey, if you've got any questions about real estate, my contact information is in the description below. Mm-hmm. Give me a shout. We'd love to hear from you. Or if you, you, know, you have questions about Thursday Night Live, you have questions about spin bikes, any way I can help you, okay. let me know. Uh, so and, the value is far beyond just real estate. Uh, yeah, and I actually, the funny part is, I dumped my, my, my real estate website this year. Really? I don't see, I don't think there's shit value in it. Um, because the large aggregators, Zillow, Trulia, Realtor.com, mm-hmm. unless you're super long tail, and I'm talking like, you know... 40514 Ducks at the Pond on Boston Road. Like, it has to be so ridiculously long tail, it's not even funny. Yeah. Like, I had a couple blog articles, like, the five best neighborhoods in Lexington for appreciation. Yeah. That'll hit the first page of Google, but, like, somebody has to type in best neighborhood Lexington, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Like, it can't even be Lexington. Um, but... So you don't see the SEO benefits of having the website? No, just because... Maybe I'm just not good enough at it, but I poured... Two years in and over 150 articles, mm-hmm. you know, with 500 to 2,000 words, keyworded the shit out of them, and it didn't work. But I take that exact same content, and I put it in the video description of YouTube, yeah. and it hits the first page all the time. So social media platforms in my YouTube channel are my website. Mm-hmm. because and, and, you know, I've got landing pages that I send people to to capture their name, email, and phone number. But the time and effort to, you know, manage an actual website with a blog just wasn't there because I was competing with Zillow. Yeah. And, you know, they have an entire staff of people that put out content constantly. Yeah. And because they're talking about real estate, 
you know, globally, especially nationally, it's almost impossible to beat them unless you want to talk about Thoroughbred Park, Lexington, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, who's going to Google that? They're going to, you know, the big searches are home for sale, Lexington, Kentucky, real estate for sale, Lexington, Kentucky, yeah. like those big kind of global mm-hmm. search terms. And then you're just competing with everybody. Dude, the best I ever made was like fifth or sixth page. And yeah. who the shit goes to the fifth or sixth page of Google? Yeah. Um, but what I've found that's effective is building a brand on social media so that I'm top of mind and I've earned their trust and they know, like, and trust me. And they have gotten a little bit of taste of what it's like to work with me because they've seen me on video so many times. Mm-hmm. They know what to expect. It's more personal connection right off the bat. Oh, tons. Yeah. Instead of, you know, trying to find something. Like, if I was in a vacation destination... Um, let's just say Hilton Head, which I've thought about opening a brokerage in South Carolina just because mm-hmm. I love it. I want to live there. Yeah. Um, part of the year. It's way too hot in August. <laughs> like spring and fall are great down there. And so down there you could SEO and keyword the daylights out of it and you would have a chance because people are searching for things that Zillow and Trulia aren't going to beat you at the keyword game for. Like what? What do you mean? So vacation rental. Uh, Hilton Head, South Carolina. Like that's yeah. something that Zillow's not going to win at. Okay. You know, you could create video, you could create, um, you know, blog posts. You could walk people through these things. Turn of people looking yeah. that up is, is too much. I mean, it's not yeah. the same people every time, right? They're not living there. Yeah. So it's you know they rely on search pretty heavily. Yeah. And so, but here in Lexington, trying to beat the big aggregators and search is impossible. And so. Really, if somebody wants to know who I am or what my like what my website is, what my blog is, I send them to my YouTube channel. Interesting, because they can see. Yeah. You know, I think I'm at like 240 videos, 200 mm-hmm. episodes of the Lex Kentucky Real Estate Show, or 204. Getting ready to upload 200 episode 205, and then like another 40 or 50 videos. Yeah. Um, and like that's my body of work, and each one of them has a blog article in the description, mm-hmm. and like that's who I am, and. You know, that's where I live. And so, you know, if somebody goes to my website, it's just this random website and it has no social validation. Yeah. You go to my Facebook page and you see I've got 1,500 likes mm-hmm. and a bunch of five-star reviews. You go to my Zillow profile and you see I've got a ton of five-star reviews and all the houses that I've sold. Yeah. You go to my Realtor.com profile. You go to my Trulia profile. And there's all this social validation that says, hey, I'm good at what I do. And, you know, you can go and see that I'm a real person, I'm active, and I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. If you come to my website, I'm just some random website that probably doesn't look real good because I use some WordPress theme that I paid 20 bucks for yeah. on um, uh, Theme Forest <laughs> and kind of hacked together. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a professional at SEO or websites. Are there people that are making money doing that? Like there's a guy, uh, his name's Dustin Brown, and he runs a blog called Search Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a blog. Nothing has shit to do with real estate. It's just about Search Salt Lake and all the things going on in Salt Lake City. Yeah. And so that website does really well because it's kind of like a, a Tops and Lex, but a website version. Yeah. Um, there's another guy out in Colorado called My Colorado Home. Uh, he makes some of the best listing videos I've ever seen. And he also has a great blog about things um, to do in Steamboat Springs. Okay. Which, by the way, average listing price is one point two million. <laughs> God, I need to move there. Wow. Yeah, you know, Lexington's one hundred eighty, one hundred eighty-five thousand. Yeah, yeah, and a little bit higher. But... It'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And so, you know, there are people that are winning at the SEO game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something that I'm not good at. And I found success with distributing my content across social channels. Yeah. And because it's so easy and cheap to buy visibility, um, you know, you put all this work into a website and then maybe in three years, yeah, the SEO long term. It's a long term game. Yeah. And so I spent two years working on it and it just, it never really panned out. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's much more effective to put that effort into my social platforms and YouTube. Yeah. So talk about the different social channels that you use. I assume Facebook's where you garner the most, most business with the ads, but talk about the uses with the others and how you, you know, sure. them all. So Facebook is quickly becoming a dumpster fire. Really? Um, That's a hot take. Dude. On the ad side. The problem is the Facebook algorithm change blows. Like I, I hate Facebook unless you go down to in your on your mobile app. You go down to the hamburger in the bottom right. You click that. You go feeds, and then click most recent, yeah. and then you got a chronological timeline again. And then it, the next time you open the app, it's going to change that. Huh. that yeah, and it goes right back to their <laughs> bullshit algorithm yeah. that absolutely blows. But. Um, you know, you just continually get shown things that appeal to you or there's some, you know, Donald Trump this or, you know, anti-America this. It's just, it's it's nothing but a political dumpster fire. Uh-huh. And then all I ever see is other real estate agents unless I go to most recent. And that's what I need to be doing is looking at most recent and like, you know, hey, clients, past clients of mine that bought a house for me three years ago just had a kid. Yeah, I know that they bought a two bedroom, one bath house. Guess what? I need to be talking to those people because guess what? They need a three bed. She's pregnant. They need a house. They yeah. need a bigger house. Yeah. You know, and like that's something I would never see. Or, you know, just engaging with people and seeing things that are cool. Um, and so the algorithm on uh, Instagram, I think, is better. And mm-hmm. I think that Instagram provides a higher quality experience now. Uh, I oh, just think it's sure. a happier pet place for to sure. be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because I think that Facebook is starting to age up. Um, and so one of my most active ad, uh, sections, like the people that click on my ads the most, uh, 45 to 65 year old women. I can see that just which being on Facebook more. And uh, yeah, which works. But the problem is then somebody gives you one of those people give you their name, email and phone number. And then you call them three minutes after they do it. Yeah. And they think that you're some kind of Russian spy. Yeah. <laughs> and so they don't understand they don't understand my value. So, you know, if somebody sees my marketing, you know, when they're going to go list their house, they don't even call anybody else. They just call me and say, hey, I want you to come sell my house. And yeah. then I show up and we don't even have to talk about what I'm going to do because they already understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, if I go in and I've got a 65-year-old client and I'm trying to explain to them what a Matterport 3D tour is, which, by the way, it takes the inside of a house yeah. and makes it look like Google Street View. You guys yeah. understand exactly what I just said. Yeah. That's a dollhouse thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They have no idea. And so, you know, my clientele is 25 to 45 years old, really in their 30s. You know, me, they're, they're you know, I'm 36 years old. You know, I've got two kids, mm-hmm. you know, and 30 to 40-year-olds is really the sweet spot of my business. And so I represent people on all different spectrums, but people who understand the value that I provide are in that 25 to 45 year old range and they understand it. And so those people are hanging out more and more on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of my peers that are spending time on Snapchat. It just, it crushes me to put all that time and effort into something that disappears 24 hours later. Yeah. Um, my disappears a company 24 hours later. <laughs> I'm sorry? The company yeah. my disappears. The content or the company? <laughs> <laughs> Should have sold the Facebook when they had the chance. Yeah. Can you ma- I think about that all the time. Can you imagine going to investors and saying, hey, we got a $3 billion acquisition offer. We're gonna, yeah. We're going to turn it down. Like, Sign me up. I can't imagine that. That's called hubris. Yeah. That's what called. It's called hubris. Yeah. I would have been on a private island with my jet, yeah. counting my money. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Instagram, you, you've been doing a good job on there because you got me on one of your stories. Just lately. Yeah. Just lately. Yeah. Talk about your strategy on Instagram. So I'm making this, well, not making the switch. I'm starting to focus more and more on Instagram because A, I'm getting more engagement. Instagram stories, the engagement is unbelievably better than yeah. any other platform. Um, so I'm getting great engagement there. And even though my views are only in the hundreds instead of the thousands, like I get on Facebook, the quality views, they're quality views that people yeah. like engage with. And like, mm-hmm. you know, every time I post a story, you know, somebody sends me a DM asking something yeah. about this or that. It's a very conversational platform. Yeah. And you know, I'm starting to learn more what the content works there and I'm working on, you know, 60 second video clips to work in the feed. And I'm starting mm-hmm. to play with IG story ads um, mm-hmm. just because it's becoming, you know, it's a place where more people are hanging out and I'm learning that that's where my audience is. Yeah. You know, three years ago, my audience was on Facebook, you know, Instagram was just for kids, Yeah. you know, for college kids. And now like one of the fastest growing segments on Instagram is, you know, cougars, milfs, yeah. taking selfies, 45 <laughs> year old women taking selfies, you know? Uh, yeah. And so Instagram starting to age up. And so Snapchat is the kids yeah. place to play and like I musically if... and group me and all these other things that yeah. I don't even use or really know about or where the, the, the young generation. Yeah. Have. Musically is kind of going downhill, but I wonder if Instagram is going to become less cool in a few years it will. because of that. That's my worry It will with the fact that it is aging up. And I noticed that just well, scrolling through. I it. think the, the feed's different and you're following, you know, individual accounts and they're mm-hmm. not posting, you know, articles and stuff That's on, true. on Instagram. I just feel like Instagram is, is much more personal. Mm-hmm. You know, here's what I'm doing today on my story, mm-hmm. but here's like my highlight that I'm putting on my feed. I it's think not, there's, not, there's no clutter necessarily. Yeah. And if there is clutter, it's going to be on the stories. I think that's yeah. why they've never allowed for a resharing of posts. Yeah. Like on Facebook, you can share someone yeah, else's exactly. posts. They just allow that with stories, but I think they're trying to keep it away from the feed. I learned as something new today. Can. I did not know you could reshare stories. You can re- yeah. yeah. If yeah. you go to someone's post, there's like a share on your story type Kiss of thing. my ass. Or someone's story sharing your story. Oh, I learned something yeah. new today. Mm-hmm. So I think they're experimenting with that, but they want yeah. to keep the main feed as personal as possible. Yeah. And so I'm making the switch to, in, or I'm moving my focus to Instagram because of the mm-hmm. cost. Facebook ads are getting more and more expensive. You know, big brands, like I saw a Coca-Cola ad on Facebook. You mm-hmm. know, when Coke makes it there, you realize like they've gone mainstream. Oh, everybody's there. Yeah. And yeah. the cost to advertise on Facebook when I really got serious about Facebook advertising in 15 and really 16, you know, views were three for a penny. Mm-hmm. And now it's a penny to a penny and a half of you. So four times more expensive than it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's still a bargain. Like, 
you know, I if the people at Tops it's and Lights It's still the best this, way to get in front of people. Yeah, yeah, like local advertising, like Channel 18. I looked at, I, I thought about doing, or Channel 36. Mm-hmm. I thought about doing a weekly half-hour Sunday real estate show. Oh, wow. I mean, look, if you can sell used cars with puppies yeah. um, on on local television at, on Sunday at like 10 a.m., by God, you can sell houses. Yeah. And so I looked into doing that, and the, dude, it was unbelievably expensive. Mm-hmm. Like a full-page ad in Tops and Lex, I think it's like $6,000. Oh, my God. Dude. No one reads that. <laughs> I, I spend twelve dollars or $15,000 a year on Facebook ads. Yeah. And, you know, I'm getting... Hun- tens of hundreds of more views, thousands of more views yeah. than I would in like a print distribution or something. So it's still wildly affordable relative to other things, but the engagement and the quality of the um, viewer mm-hmm. on Instagram, I think, is much better. Do you feel like you have to continue to spend on Facebook just sooner there? Yep. I feel like it's almost a necessity right now in digital marketing. So if I, if I post something to my business page... Somewhere between six and per- six and ten percent of my total uh, like group is going to be presented. Like my reach mm-hmm. is going to be less than ten percent of my total. Um, so yeah, it, if you post anything to a business page, you got to put money behind it. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. Yeah. And then they, uh, what's the word, deoptimize or whatever your mm-hmm. content for being a business content that you're not promoting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they're they, they, they are they're gonna make money, man. Yeah. Milking what they yeah. have. Hey, and I'm, I, sure. I can't hate them. I if it hadn't been for Facebook and Facebook ads, I would not have found the success that I have in real estate. Um, I mean, I went from absolutely nobody who didn't even have a real estate license as a part-time real estate agent to the top five percent of all real estate agents in the United States in a matter of twenty-four months, thanks one hundred percent to Facebook ads. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they're awesome. They still yeah. work phenomenally well. It's just they're getting expensive, and I think you've got a better opportunity on Instagram, which you know, Facebook still owns them. Yeah, I they're mean, still making money. They're still right? making, still making money. Yeah, but you def- you have the personality to adapt and to to analyze and realize trends at the beginning, so you can be successful no matter what. Yeah, and that's one of the things about you know I've thought about you know we're getting ready to go into a correction in the real estate industry. You know. More, the the Federal Reserve has raised in, overnight interest rates to banks, which in turn affects the ten year Treasury bond, which in, in turn affects the thirty year uh, mortgage interest rate. As mortgage interest rates go up, prices stay the same, stabilize or decline. Mm-hmm. And so we are in an era where rates this year, mortgage rates started the year at like four and a quarter. We're at four and three quarters to four and uh, seven eighths right now, and we're expected to go to five and a half, maybe even six percent by middle to end of next year. So like the real estate industry is going to have a serious correction in the next six to 12 months. And so I say correction, not recession. It's not mm-hmm. going to be like 2008 where the sky falls and people lose 30% of the value of their home. Yeah. Just like, so in Lexington, I pulled some uh, data and actually a blog post or a video that I'm going to do this week. January through July, 2017 versus January through July, 2018 Lexington saw, on average, 6.8% appreciation in a home value. Yeah, absolutely crazy. nuts that is. That's wild. So, like, 40515, which is Veterans Park, Heartland, you know, like, the south end of town yeah, of Patriot yeah, yeah. Road, 11.6% appreciation year over year. So, think about that. Wow. You, you bought a house for $200,000 last January. Mm-hmm. That shit is worth $222,000 today. 
Yeah. You make $22,000 in a year just by living there. Yeah. Like, that's insane. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's going to slow down. The The real estate market's going to slow down. You know, I've already sold, I think, like $14.5, $15 million worth of real estate this year. On track to hit twenty by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And I think that that number is going to get cut in half next year. And so... Wow. You know, looking at it, you know, what's the longevity of real estate? What's the longevity of a real estate agent? Because technology is going to continue to put a, a crimp on commissions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the national average right now is 5.12% uh, commission for an entire real estate transaction. So usually that shakes out to 3% to the selling agent, which is the buyer's agent. Yeah. I'm sorry. And then uh, 2.12% to the uh, listing agent. Mm-hmm. And those, those, there's, there's stardoms coming out of the woodworks and commissions are getting, you know, tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And so I just don't see a whole lot of future. Like, I don't think my job is going to exist in 10 years. Maybe saw, in five uh, years. You know, there's Zillow and then I was looking at Redfin. Yep, Redfin. They've got some pretty low commission rates, don't they? So they've got two things. One, they do a buyer rebate where if you buy with them, they will give you 40% of the buyer's commission. So, you know, on... A uh, hundred thousand dollar house that'd be three thousand forty percent twelve hundred bucks back at yeah. your closing. I mean, that goes to pay a lot of closing costs. That pays to move you. And yeah. then on the listing side, they do a flat fee one percent or like fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah. But then you still have to pay the three percent buyer's commission. There's offer pad. I mean, there's literally thirty different startups in this space because it's ripe for disruption. And I've got some ideas around it, and it would be, you know, something that I'd be interested in. But, you know, as we kind of talked about at the beginning of this thing, I'm a digital marketer that happens to sell real estate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking into next year, I mean, I'm still going to be a real estate agent. I'm still, you know, 100% into it. But getting into digital marketing as a, you know, an agency and an advisor to other people mm-hmm. um, is something that I'm going to expand into because, you know, it's hard. And the only way you can learn this stuff is by doing it. I mean, if you go to a traditional marketing firm that's still buying TV and still buying print, yeah. like they don't understand this stuff. They don't have the experience. They don't understand what a retarget is. They don't understand what a landing page is. They don't understand, you know, how to find people on social media and how to take advantage of what social media can do for you. And the fact that shit. Facebook ads has had two enormous changes this year that you have to completely relearn how to use the platform. Yeah. You know, there was the algorithm change earlier in the year, and then I always want to say Encyclopedia Britannica. What was the name of the thing? Uh, Cambridge Analytica. I'm calling it Encyclopedia Britannica. (laughs) Same thing. Um, Sounds just as dirty. Yeah. (laughs) So we've had two huge changes to Facebook advertising this year where you've had Mm -hmm. to readjust... um, and relearn the whole thing. And if you're not in the trenches doing this stuff. And so, you know, that's kind of like what I see as the future. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not quitting real estate anytime soon. Like I will always be a licensed. I always do that on the side too. Huh? Well, I mean, let me tell you, it is a full-time ass 60, 70 hour week job, but just for myself, just because I buy and sell a lot of real estate. Um, by the way, you guys can come check out my flip. Anybody listening to the podcast, 2969 Constantine. It is a beautiful five-bedroom, three-bath home that's completely renovated. You should come check it out. It's going to be listed in about a week. Today is August 27, 2018, so it's 1st of September. You're looking for a really nice ranch on a basement, fully renovated. Give me a shout, 859-576-0801. <laughs> that was a shameless plug, gentlemen. Plug, plug of the, uh, that was a shameless plug. <laughs> 
We've had some plugs, but that was yeah, probably the best. So I'll always keep a real estate license to buy and sell, mm-hmm. but I think that much like video killed the radio star, the internet is going to kill the real estate agent or drastically change mm-hmm. the way the business model works such that, I mean, let me tell you, real estate is a 24-hour day, seven-day a business, seven-day-a-week business, Yeah, and People start calling at 7 in the morning, and they call at 11 o'clock at night, and you have to be ready to go at a moment's notice. And so in a world where you're only making 1% on a transaction, like that's just not a job. The opportunity cost is too high. I mean, you can still make a really nice six-figure salary, but at 80 hours a week, it's just not worth my time. Um, And I think a lot of people are going to find that or there's going to be a way to take some labor out of the equation to make that 1% world make sense because mm-hmm. I really think we're going to a world where the the cost of a transaction is 2 to 2.5%. Two you know, I think that's where the the real estate agent is no longer extracting uh rents, mm-hmm. you know, from the market. They're getting quote unquote free lunch. Mm-hmm. If we if this was a video, we could do a little you know, diagram <laughs> and you know, supply and demand yeah. curve and show where Real estate agents are winning right now. But as that starts to tighten, I think that that's going to be something. So looking forward to the future, you know, digital marketing, I think, is a skill that everybody that's an entrepreneur should have. Mm -hmm. And even if you're not doing your own, it's something you should understand because it's so powerful. And you're going to be able to, you know, grow your business much more effectively um, by doing that. And so, like, right now I'm working on an information product training other real estate agents how to do what I do. Yeah. Um, you know, how to how to create video, how to uh, do Facebook ads, how to make landing pages, how to be a digital marketer in 2018 as a real estate agent or as a mortgage loan officer. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of my next step and getting into, I'm working, uh, talking with a client right now about how to advertise his restaurant and bar um, and kind of looking forward to that and maybe moving into a digital agency. But nice. I don't know what the future is going to look like, but I do know that digital advertising is going to be huge and understanding how to use Facebook and how to use Instagram is going to be unbelievably powerful. Yeah. I think that's smart to do here too because like I said yeah. earlier, Lexington and Kentucky in general, there's not a lot of people doing that. No. You know, I can think of a million different businesses mm-hmm. that should be doing way better on social media, but they're not. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, let's no brands yeah. on social media for sure. But that's kind of a good segue before we wrap up. Yeah, let's just talk about Lexington a little bit. You know, we're doing the series long on Lex. Yep, you've been here your whole life. I'm very um, long on Lex. Very long on Lex. So, um, whether it's you know real estate related or just cultural lifestyle related, like what do you see trends in this market? Um, and you know, what are your thoughts for the future of Lexington? I'm super excited about Lexington because. I think opportunities are improving. Mm-hmm. You know, Lexington grew, I think it was like 37 or 38,000 people in the last five years, which was a 10% population growth. The same, we're expected to grow 40 to 45,000 in the next five years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what that means is the reason people are moving here is because of opportunities. When I graduated from undergrad, which was 13 years ago, which is <laughs> terrifying. Um, I had to leave. I mean, I I found a mediocre, very actually a very poorly paying job um, as an accountant, 
and there just weren't a whole lot of job opportunities. And with, you know, businesses locating here, um, bringing jobs to Lexington, and especially higher paying jobs mm -hmm. and better opportunities, you know, it, it secures a future for Lexington because, you know, when I graduated college, if you wanted to have a path to a six-figure income in Lexington, Kentucky, you had to own a business, be a lawyer or a doctor. Mm -hmm. Those were your options. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, like that mid-level corporate job was going to pay forty to 60000 and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But if you want you know, to keep your top A-plus talent here, like, you got to have those six-figure jobs. And I think that those opportunities are growing. And as those grow, Lexington will improve. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, it used to be a very uh, closely knit kind of blue blood group that were the lawyers and doctors and yeah. had those opportunities. And then everybody else, like everybody I went to undergrad with that did something with their life, left. Yeah, They're all in Louisville, New York, Atlanta, Austin, Texas. Like they all left. Mm -hmm. because they couldn't find jobs. And so my hope is that we start to retain some of this talent or bring new talent in. Yeah. Um, and Lexington grows into a place where, you know, there's a, there's a future. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's job opportunities for people that want to be successful. And, you know, as we sit here in Awesome Inc., you know, I could have, you know, had my office anywhere. And yeah. aside from the phenomenal internet, I, I work out of this place just because there's so many great things happening here yeah. and exciting entrepreneurs and the energy is unbelievable. And just when I walk into this place every day, I'm pumped up and ready to take over the world and do exciting new things just because there's momentum mm -hmm. and there's excitement around entrepreneurship and technology. Yeah. And I think that that's something that's growing in Lexington. And I think that that's why, you know, I'm long on Lex and we have such a bright future here. Um, what are some of your favorite things to do in your free time in Lexington? Favorite things to do. So I absolutely love mountain biking. Uh, it's a shame that we only have one mountain bike <laughs> trail here in Lexington, but in central Kentucky, we've got tons of great mountain bike trails. Yeah. Um, I am quickly becoming an avid golfer. I used to hate it. So I used to be super into CrossFit. Uh, yeah. and then I had my fourth <laughs> knee surgery and realized that I'm old. <laughs> uh, so I've gotten into golf. Yeah. I, I love swimming. So if you haven't been to the UK natatorium, yeah, uh, cool. it's unbelievable. So I'm a member of the UK Wildcat master swim team over there. Uh, it's all kinds of fun. Did you swim as a kid? Like a year or two, really? but you just got into it afterwards. Uh, yeah. So I can't run. I can't ride a bike because of my knee problems. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to get fat. <laughs> and so, um, I took up swimming uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, yeah. and got serious about it earlier this year. I'm in the hunt for a one minute, 100 meter sprint. Okay, we're really close on it, like 104, 104 and a half meters or yards. Meters. That's a good meter time. You know, pumped. Sure. I mean, of course, you know, like Michael Phelps does yeah. it in low 40s. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so the here's a fun story. So I was at the Y, mm -hmm. and there was a young lady there in her early 20s, but she did not look like an athlete. Um, and I'm just warming up. And, you know, of course, she's in the lane next to me. And she starts to push a little bit. And I was like, oh, no, you're not going to beat yeah. me. 
And I, we end up in a dead heat, and we both knew what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> and she absolutely demolished me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, demolished me. She was turning like 52, 53 second 100s. Oh, my God. Because I, I, after I died, after like the first two, yeah. I stopped, and I just I started timing her. And then as I got out, I went over, and I looked sitting over next to the pool, and there was a uh, university, or Ohio University uh, NCAA, or swim team bag with an NCAA championship tag on it. Yeah. I was like, oh, I just got, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but no, so I love swimming, mountain biking, riding my electric skateboard through downtown, trying not to get hit by traffic. Yeah. Um, it's very Casey Nastad of you. Huh? Yes, he is, he is kind of my hero. Um, spending time with my kids, especially my uh, son Hudson, you know, we'll go ride bikes downtown, get ice cream, go on hikes and stuff. So, do you want your kids to go to UK and stay here? No, I want them to get out of here. Okay. I, I want them to go somewhere else other than UK. I went to UK because with my keys money, my tuition was like $700 a semester. Mm-hmm. And so, I got That's accepted crazy. to the University or CU Boulder. And basically, I was just going to go out there and party and snowboard. Yeah. And it was going to be like $30,000 a year or it was going to be less than $2,000 a year for my tuition here. And like, it just... It just it was a no-brainer. Yeah. I would really like for my kids to spend a couple of years away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did a brief stint in Florida, and I lived in Louisville for five years when I was working for yeah. GE and the PE firm. And so I think that's something that's super important, and I really hope that my kids spend a little bit of time away. But when it was time to, you know, start our family, um, I, I can't think of a place any better than Lexington. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I'm super excited for them to grow up here and have a lot of the same experiences I did. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I think it's a great place to raise family, but I kind of feel bad for, you know, I graduated college until I start family time. You know, like, I lived in Louisville during that time, and Louisville yeah. is an amazing city. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it um, during that period. Now, their school systems are very challenging, and there's a lot of weird things that go on there. But I think that, you know, and you guys being that population, mm-hmm. you know, do you feel it's kind of weird? You know, it's kind of like a, you know, people either get out of school and immediately have kids or yeah. they move away. And like, there's not a whole, there's not like a thriving, you know, young professional crowd in Lexington. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I'd say so. I think it's very fair. Yeah. I think this is like the most awkward age to live in Lexington. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from upstate New York originally. Yeah. And uh, nobody up there like gets married right out of college. It's yeah. a very small percentage. And my senior year at UK here, like people are getting engaged left and right. Yeah. And I'm just like, what is going on? Yeah. You got a wedding um, here in a week? Yeah. yeah. You guys yeah. We got a mutual yeah. friend getting married uh, in a week. <laughs> Not to throw shade at anyone in particular. Uh, but it was just like, that, that just wasn't my experience with life. Yeah. Uh, and then it just feels like being a, a, a single younger person here. Um, it is just kind of an awkward yeah. place for that. Because a lot of, Young professionals are moving out of here to take jobs yeah. elsewhere. Yeah, and to the point, you know, of opportunity. It's like you have the opportunity to start a family early, when or and stay here, or yeah. you really don't have that opportunity to build your career as at the moment. Yeah. You know, here because the jobs aren't here. There's no necessarily. Some people like to envision a ladder that they're climbing. Yeah. There's not necessarily a ladder here. Yeah. So you go somewhere else. You know, that's. I think that's what where, where Lexington's at. They need to start building that ladder out. Yeah, more companies coming here where young people can stay and, yeah. and, and then you know, I think that's happening. Yeah, yeah, I think that's happening. It's just 
you know, is it happening fast enough? And especially like, what's the population in the UK? Like 25,000, 30,000 kids? Yeah, it's over 30 now. So we're graduating 6,000 college graduates. We've got to generate 6,000 jobs a yeah. year. Yeah. That are, you know, paying a good salary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Um, so that kind of, you know, leads into like, what would I do to improve Lexington? Mm-hmm. First thing I would do is A, Put an interstate through the middle of town. <laughs> like, Nicholasville Road through downtown should be a limited access road where we we, we treat it like an interstate. And yeah. it goes and connects all the way out to 75. I think New Circle should be closed all the way around and then Man of War should become uh, that way as well. Uh, yeah, like traffic. So enter an outer loop. I actually live in Jasmine County out by the Champions Golf Course. Yeah. And I do a lot of my business in Hamburg and 40509, like at Winchester. So you have Road. to go end to end doing that. 50, it, it's 13 miles, but it takes 56 minutes in traffic. That's some LA stuff right there. Uh, yeah. That's like LA traffic. Yeah, well, it's so. Lexington traffic is so bad, and nobody will admit that it is. <laughs> oh, it's horrendous. And you're the first person I know that like grew up here, is from here, that doesn't just say, no, it's great. You know, for the size city, it's fine. Huh. No, no, it's no. Tr- it, it's it's an horrible. Absolute, it's an abortion. It's terrible. It's so bad. <laughs> so I had this scheme. Do you know what a paramotor is? No. So imagine a backpack fan with a big parachute wing. Okay? Yeah. It's called a paramotor. Yeah. And so you can take off in about 50 feet. Right? Yeah. And so where I live, I'm about two and a half miles south of... Runway 22 at Bluegrass Field. Yeah. Okay? And so you strap on this backpack with a fan. It's gas-powered. Right? It holds three liters of fuel. And, yeah, liters, not gallons. Um, You start running, and you turn the fan on, and then the wing comes up. You continue running, and then you hit the gas. And you'll just go. And then you go. And so you can only travel at, like, 45, 50 miles an hour. But... Remember, I'm only going 13 miles. Like, I can make it from my house to Hamburg, and there's a bunch of new construction and a big open field right next to where I needed to go every day. Yeah. And so, this paramotor is only 7500 bucks. And that'd be a lot quicker. Huh? And I was just going to fly. You know, I was going to buy, like, a $2,500 Civic yeah. with 300,000 miles and just leave it in Hamburg. Yeah. And so, I was going to fly my paramotor from my house over there, but it turns out I'm in class Bravo airspace within five miles of bluegrass field. Yeah. And so I was going to have to drive to Bannon crossing, take off there and it just didn't, it didn't work yeah. out, but I was, would have been some good content. Dude, I was we deep into that yeah. research. <laughs> like, I was going to come, I was going to fly to work every day. It was going to be awesome. <laughs> um, live stream it every morning. Yeah. Coming in. Which by the way, there is a flying car company in Vegas and it's Aero something, but they've made a personal drone that, uh, I think we saw that at CES. Yeah, I like I want Aeroflyer. Yeah, talking about yeah, like I I want a flying car. The other, yeah. It's like a white drone. It looks pretty futuristic. It's got you know, like yeah. four arms. Yeah, on it. I think we saw that one. It's like matte Uber, white. The Uber one was yeah. next to it. Yeah. yeah, and so I don't know. I hate Lexington traffic. That needs improvement. Mm-hmm. We need to find a way to attract more uh, businesses and provide better employment. And you know, how do we do that? I don't really know. Yeah, that's that's a, mil- a that's a challenging question. There's a million ways to do that, and they all have their that takes a lot of time. We talked yeah. to Scott a bit about that. Yeah, uh, he's saying you know it takes a lot of investment to get that interest from those businesses to move here. Mm-hmm. You know, I think this internet, the metronet internet coming, the gigabit internet, it's gonna yeah. help a lot. 
Yeah. Okay. Oh, a lot of investment will probably come from a lot of yeah. your business because you know we got a lot young population, great mm-hmm. internet. Some business is going to look yeah. at that and say that's somewhere we need to be. Um, so I think that takes time. It's going to improve. Yep. Yeah. We have a unique issue as a city too with the urban services boundary. Yeah. Like, don't get me started. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you deal with that all the time, probably with where your your so, houses are. So. so the urban services boundary defines where you can and cannot develop land. Yeah. And so just this past year. The Urban County Council voted to keep the uh, urban service boundary unchanged, Mm -hmm. which is creating an artificial restraint on the market. So we don't have a free market. We have a constrained market, which is driving up the cost of land, which is in turn driving up the cost of new construction. Um, Remember, we had a 10% population growth, and we're expecting another 10% population growth. And there's nowhere to grow. So we need all this new housing... But we have a finite amount of resources, and the thing is, a lot of the available land that's left is on the north side of Lexington. Uh, Traditionally, there is more crime, and Mm -hmm. the schools don't score as highly on the north side of Lexington as they do the south side. And the thing is, new construction, it's really challenging to build a three-bedroom house for under $200,000 anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really like $160,000, And so when you look at the median price of a home at 180,000, you know, you're going to be at median price or above to go buy a house in a lower performing school district or with a higher rate of crime than another part of town. Mm-hmm. You know, even though that's where the land is, the demand for that housing is not there. Yeah. And so yes, we have this land, but nobody's going to build on it because nobody's going to buy the property. Mm-hmm. And so a, you know, the the more in-demand areas are on the south side of town and it's challenging to get to you know Hamburg or get to the industrial parts of the north side of Lexington. It's very challenging to make that commute yeah. and there's no demand. So how do you improve conditions on the north side so that it becomes a desirable place to live or you change the urban service boundary so people can buy the land and build the homes where they actually want to be. And so it it's kind of this weird catch-22. Lexington is in a weird phase, and, you know, the result of this is we're not building homes as fast as we need to to keep up with, you know, new influx, which is driving rents through the roof, and a lot of people are going to outlying counties. Like, Georgetown is on fire with new construction. Really? New construction in Jesmond County is picking up. New construction in Woodford County is picking Mm -hmm. up. Um, Madison County. You know, just hop down 75 because, believe it or not, you can be from Boone's Trace, which is the first exit once you cross over into Madison County over the river. Yeah. You can be to Boone's Trace to downtown Lexington faster than you can get from Heartland out Tate's Creek Road than you can to downtown. Yeah. And it's like 23, 24 miles from Richmond to downtown Lexington versus like nine. Mm -hmm. And it's because the traffic's so terrible. And so, you know how we solve these land use problems and the urban county council wants us to do infill but infill is super expensive and so we have we're going to run into a housing affordability issue where people are going to move to outlying counties and then we've got to figure out how to get these people in and out of lexington to these jobs that we're bringing in yeah which is just going to make traffic worse yeah and so you know there's there's 101 different ways to look at it but the urban services boundary I understand why it exists, and I do believe that bluegrass uh, farms are part of the landscape that need to be here, but 
we also need to reevaluate how are we going to deliver affordable housing across the spectrum because mm-hmm. you know the cost to build a new house is $120 a square foot. Like 110 if you're doing it super cheap. Yeah. And so you know 100 or 1500 square foot house is going to cost you 170 $180,000 and that's for just like builder grade stuff like the cost of labor, the cost of fuel, the cost of all the inputs and the that's yeah. gone into it and there's a shortage of labor right now. You know, it's tough to sell that $180,000 house on, you know, newly developed land when the houses next door are selling for $100,000. Yeah. And they have underperforming schools. Mm-hmm. You know, so how do you make that part of town more attractive? You know, how do you do that? You know, so there's just this quagmire of the future of Lexington and how you develop land, um, you know, and... I don't really know how to solve it. All yeah. I know is that there's a problem. And from a real estate sales perspective, if I could come up with, you know, lots in like Veterans Park School District or Rosa Park School District mm-hmm. that I could get for $50,000 a piece, dude, I could sell $250,000 houses over there. I mean, with my eyes closed, but there's just no land to develop mm-hmm. because of the urban services boundary. Hmm. So... It's good insight. Yeah. Different never, type of insight we haven't had on here yet. Yeah, good. I've, I've never thought of it from the pure real estate perspective. Yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. Well, well, before we wrap up, like, where can people find you on Facebook, on Instagram? Sure. Uh, so you can find me. Uh, the name of my real estate company uh, is Atlas Trust Real Estate. And so I'm Atlas Trust RE on Instagram, Atlas Trust on Facebook. Um, YouTube, Atlas Trust, Real Estate, uh, and then you can always just call me, 859-576-0801. You can text me. You can call me. 7 a.m. to 11 p.m., right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that seems to be I think, but don't you dare leave me a voicemail. It explicitly states for fastest response, please don't leave a voicemail and text me at this number, which is French for I don't listen to my voicemail, yeah. don't send me one, because I will just call you back. And yeah. like, it's hilarious when somebody leaves me a voicemail and I just call them back two seconds later. Did you listen to my voicemail? Like, no, I didn't listen to your voicemail. What do you want? I called you back immediately. You could have sent me a text message and saved us all some time. Anyway, um, I don't know. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Yeah, this was fun. You. I enjoyed this it. great.